We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing the esports business. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. It's all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is David Chen. David is the president and founder of GTIF Capital, which is a consulting and private equity firm working in esports, technology, healthcare, brand growth, global strategy, and real estate investments. David started his journey into esports in 2018 by investing in FaZe Clan. He's now the president of the North American Collegiate League, the NACL, which is a nonprofit collegiate esports league with 220 competing universities in 20 countries. David also sits on several boards, including Media Abundance, where he's the head of esports. Prior to this, he created the Chinese Service Group for Deloitte, Mexico, where he was one of the youngest partners there. He also teaches tournament design and management at SMU as part of the school's esports business management program. Thanks for joining us. Hey, man. You know, thanks for having me on. Big fan. Love your book. Love everything you're about, man. So I'm excited to be part of this. My pleasure. You know, so kind of start, you know, tell us a little bit about your you know, past esports and gaming experience. How'd you kind of get involved? You know, what was the first game you played? Yeah, you, you know, it's funny because I, I look back at my life. I like why most people... You know, we didn't expect it to be what it became, but it was our dreams as, as I think, young, young children that we could be doing something that is so significant to us, that gave us stress relievers, that felt us in, made, made us feel included, made us feel part of a network and a community, and now it's actually profitable as well. And I think that's where the beautiful part of it is being taken seriously. You know, I, you know, I had real humble beginnings coming uh, to this country from Taiwan. And, and you know, at one point I, when we came to this country, I was actually homeless. And um, eating bugs to survive. And today, I can tell you that I invest in phase in seventeen, um, and you know we're on a road to a billion dollar IPO. And I think that's a that's a key part of my story, because it wasn't one of those things where I had the best education or the best work. It was doing the right things, meeting the right people, as you and I discussed at the right times. And despite what all the haters were saying, the truth eventually comes out, and and things work out the way they do. And so when I tell you that story, it's because I've been gaming, you know, I, I had the original Nintendo from Japan, uh, which was a purple one way back in the day. Uh, and I remember playing it and playing Mario. And the first time I ever saw it was my cousin's house. And this was like back in the day and it was definitely Mario. And then I had the first PlayStation from Japan, which was interesting because at the time you could uh, uh, get bootleg games. I would never advise you this for like a buck. And then they switched it off around. I've had probably every console that's ever been made. I, I mean, I'm a real gamer. I'm on Twitch. It's David Chin Panda. I talk about Forbes of Ice while I'm playing Fortnite or 2K. Um, you know, I play a decent amount of games. I like Dead by Daylight, 
you know, I play Overcooked, uh, you know, I'll play Call of Duty, uh, a pretty good variety that, that matters and that plays with us. Um, and I really, really enjoy it. And, and that's kind of how I started in, the, in, 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 you know, kind of my love for gaming. And then I joined Deloitte uh, in 2005. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't finish college. I was college dropout, and that was a pretty tough circumstance. Both my parents had heart attacks that year. That was my senior year. And Justin, it was my fault because I did it for like six years and didn't really learn and educate because I just wasn't mature enough. And so like I'm completely and utterly lost and I can't figure out my life and I have no idea what I want to do. And I thought that like when I finished college, it was like, oh, you're going to go make something of yourself. Dude, I didn't make anything of myself. I went back home with no degree to save my family's home because both my parents had a heart attack and we're about to lose our house and our business. We had a restaurant. So I started working in the restaurant. I spent three years working there, hopeless till 25. And one day I had a call and they're like, hey, we want you to come join Deloitte because they're looking for someone that could speak Spanish, English, and Mandarin. Well, ironically, those are three languages I can speak. And I went and applied for the job and I got the job. Uh, and I started working consulting. And Justin, you'll love the story. I was there for like six months and I got fired. And I got fired because I did not understand what I was getting myself into. And I'll, there's a big case in point. I couldn't sell ERS and Oracle to a Chinese client or a client at Deloitte because all the decision makers weren't in Mexico where I was part of the firm. They were in China and Taiwan making decisions. So I get fired. Sucks. You know, uh, I was a little bit political. I was pretty bitter about it. And, you know, I sat around for two months and I just gamed and gaming prevented me from doing things that I probably would regret down the road. It gave me a peace of mind. It basically saved my life at 25 because at this point, you know, I'm, I have no money. I didn't finish college. You know, I just got fired from Deloitte. I'm not talking to my parents. I have my girlfriend and I just broke up and I was playing video games to just decompress. And then an epiphany happened while I was playing. It was, why don't you go back and ask for your job? So I went back, I asked for my job. It took a 60% pay cut, Justin, 60,000 to 24,000. And I did a value added proposition. I said, hey, if you would go ahead and give me a chance to try this again, but this time I'll make you, you know, $15,000. You only have to pay me six, which means you profit 11 in three months. And if I can't do it, the worst case is you lost six. So the guy named Antonio Gary, who was the uh, head of the uh, of Deloitte at the time, said, sure, I'll give you a chance. But I said, the only condition is I want to do doing Chinese business and Asian business. And I don't care what industry and function it is. Every industry, mergers, joint ventures, taxes, consulting, whatever it was, I wanted to sell to my clients. And they said, okay. And Justin, in seven years, I made partner at Deloitte. From right. You just had this like – you just had this like get up and go where it's like, you know what? Like I'm going to decompress, let these games get some of my angst out and throw my Hail Mary. And, you know, like you said, six years later, it clearly worked. Right. And, and, and it was interesting because what I'm trying to tell you that listens to this podcast, whether you're a professional or you're a gamer or you're young or old is let's just be very honest. Nobody has to figure it out. Everyone, if everyone had to figure it out, we'd all be rich, happy, healthy, and everyone in our families would be around us. Let's just be very straightforward. You know, life is thrown with so many curveballs. But my point is, from homeless to a billion-dollar IPO, that's a great story. From not being able to speak the language to speaking five languages, that's a great story. From dropping out of college to being part of Deloitte, that's a great story. And then, you know, how I got in the gaming industry was when I was at Deloitte, I had a bunch of nightclubs and bars at the same time. And a guy named Clinton Sparks, Clinton, who now owns part of Exet, 
uh, great guy, good friend of mine, and we know each other for 10 years. And he DJ at one of my places. And he said, what turned him on was I just asked him to eat breakfast the next day and see if he wanted to. And he said, sure. So we became friends. And for 10 years, we just talked with no, with no intentions besides caring about each other. And one day he tells me about a company called FaZe Clan. I didn't know what FaZe Clan was, but numbers are numbers. So anyone's out there looking, listening to business-wise, numbers are numbers. You know, you can't lie about the numbers. You know, viewership is viewership. Hours watch or hours watch. You don't understand it. It doesn't mean that those numbers don't exist. They're just real numbers. And when he told me that they had 10 billion views and 330 million subscribers uh, in, 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 in a year running so many valuations that I've done, I'm like, what's the minimum? What's the maximum? And I bought in, you know, and that's how I kind of got into phase because I spent 10 years of being in a relationship with no expectations. And one day he hit me up and how I understood the value of phase was because I just didn't care what the industry was, what I cared about, what the numbers were. And the numbers made sense. It was a quality evaluation. And that's how I kind of got in the, the phase part and, you know, in this part of esports. Amazing. I think, you know, it's an amazing point that you bring up there where it's like, yeah, maybe certain factors aren't like this isn't like, okay, you're going to make X amount of dollars by selling this product because it's not selling a product. And like, you know, and especially coming from the entertainment world that I came from, like, you don't know out of overnight, you can become a superstar because Will Smith does a dance to your track and now you get a hundred million views. And now Atlantic record wants to sign you because your publishing is worth a lot on YouTube. So it's like this stuff happens so quickly that like you said, the proof is in the consistency, the numbers. And that's what, you know, as an investor or any business looks for every brand that you're talking to, it's, you know, what's their average. It's not about what are they peaking at? It's like, what's their consistently doing? Because like you said, you can't, fake the numbers. The numbers are the numbers and it lets you kind of understand what you're getting yourself into if you understand what these numbers mean. Like you said, like you have millions upon billions of people watching hundreds of millions of hours of gaming content by these people doing whatever it is, cooking lifestyle, snowboarding, you know, swimming in their pool, making drinks, whatever it is. But there's engagement there and you can't just buy that and it's not fake. No, 100%. And and that's what puzzles me about people, right? Like, just because you understand crypto or NFTs or the internet or 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 esports, numbers are still numbers. Viewership is still viewership. Revenue is still revenue-based. Demographics are still your demographics. People overcomplicate things when it comes to esports because it doesn't make sense because it didn't happen in their error. Well, guess what? That's why it didn't happen, because you didn't understand it during your error. I was one of them. I admit it. There's no shame in that. But to devalue the value of, of esports in the way it is, that's a big thing. That's a big thing I think people are, are, are wondering. You know, a lot of times I talk to, like, like, guys who own pro teams, and their biggest grunt is, oh, you know, we looked at this model, and it's unprofitable. It's unprofitable because the guys you hire to do this are not guys that care about gaming, that understand the ecosystem. It's the guys who had to get the last assignment and who might know a little bit about it and you want to put no funds behind it and therefore it doesn't work. Like this is a lifestyle. This is a cool factor. This is a trend that that integrates in everything around you. And because you don't get it, that's why I think a lot of people miss their opportunities because they choose not to get it. And if, okay, I'm older, I'm out of touch. That's great, guys. I'm 41. I'll be 42 this year. And I'll tell you, the numbers are the numbers. And that's why esports will work. 
Absolutely. So, you know, kind of building on, you know, obviously getting involved with FaZe and the recent news about them going public for a billion dollar valuation. So tell us a little bit about that, you know, as much as you can. Like, were you surprised? Were you like kind of vindicated that you kind of like, well, like I saw what was going to happen a couple of years later? You know, vindication is, is a very interesting word because, you know, I, I probably talked to a, gr- a good group of friends you know, when I wanted to put more money into it and I got turned down by people that were the the experts in their space, banks, institutions, friends, even a very well-known, I'm not going to even name him because he's a good friend of mine, influencer that is pretty much a target of everything. And they did not understand it. And it was an amazing feeling because it wasn't just a win for for me in the investment side, it was a win because all those guys worked so hard to do what they had to do. And no, I had no idea that that was going to happen at all. No idea. I mean, I, when I found out as way everyone else found out, that's, I found out on the news. Um, and what's interesting about what I just said was, but it was your ability to see, you know, the future when it comes to any business or any company, you know, I see people invest in esports or, or anything in the crypto NFT space. This is not advice, but I'll tell you the bare minimum. Who's running the company? What do they have to lose? Is this here for a short money grab? Are they here for a short term to make their name in the industry and jump out? What do they really have to do? Some of these CEOs and these esports companies don't even have to play video games, but you're the CEO. Like that to me is almost insane. You know, it's like, how do you not understand the culture in order to make it work? And I think that's where a lot of this, the issues start coming in. And so when you talk about, you know, why... You know, was I surprised that they could pull that off? No, because the one thing that FaZe has understood is the culture of everything. And they've done a great job there, you know, and kudos to to that whole entire team for doing that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's one of those things, you know, again, coming from this traditional music world of being able to, you know, face client on Sports Illustrated, LeBron talking about it on Jimmy Fallon, these night shows, like, this is what entertainment, the mainstream varieties and Hollywood reporters, this is what they focus on in these traditional Hollywood types. So to kind of see it front and center, and then to kind of see it here in New York on the stock exchange, it's like the two worlds that kind of run the entertainment gauntlet are really taking notice and, you know, giving it its due. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a thing though. Like, and what's interesting about what you said is most people had to wait until it was on there, but they're like, Oh, well it's all for kids. Dude, Epic is $380 million a year off of skins. You, you, this Christmas or whenever you listen to this, 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 this podcast, you're buying and shutting out to buy stuff for your kids or the youth. They determine you, how, how quiet your lunch is, and they're buying something that just looks pretty, which is a skin, not necessarily something that's going to make their player better. And and that's what I talk about cultures and trends, because a lot of companies don't seem to understand that that's the pivotal thing. They can benchmark a move. Like you got someone crazy like Ryan's toy review, you know, this eight, nine year old kid is making twenty four million dollars off of YouTube because he's showing you how to play toys. And you're telling me that that these kids who are doing esports and going from there are going to make the move. They absolutely will. And they've made the move and they're already changing the environments. That's what makes esports so exciting. Definitely. And, you know, I think that, as you mentioned, just being able to understand this and being part of the culture where it's like, yeah, like you don't have to be playing League of Legends or Dota 2 every day to be a gamer. And I think that's one of these kind of trends you hear everywhere is like most people are gamers. And if you look, 
You know, if these CEOs look down at their sons at what's on their phone, they're probably playing Fortnite mobile or, you know, Call of Duty mobile or some game in some fashion. So, you know, that's what the future is. And that's who is coming up and going to be the new consumers and the new desired demographic. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So that kind of leads to kind of you know another operation that you're involved in, the North American Collegiate League. So tell us a little about the league. Why was it formed? What are some of the competing schools and games that are involved? You know, it was formed. It, Northern Region Collegiate League started as is, is a nonprofit league that started out with just trying to do something that I didn't see anybody do in the collegiate space, which is a path to pro. How can you be in the space and not take people pro? If you understood the culture and community. That should be your first thing. Then money grabs and then everything else. And I felt like that was seriously lacking. And so what was interesting was, you know, coming from Deloitte Partner, so understanding the culture of gaming and investing put me in a really unique position. And we started this and we've done almost 200 tournaments in two years. We have partnered in clothing with Three Commas and Mark Cuban and Arkansas State and ASU. We have done live events at nascar we are partnered with the wolverhampton wanderers and english premier league where last year we had five thousand people play from 32 countries including some nfl players uh and the winner after 12 weeks has a chance to try out for the english premier league's wolverhampton wanderers esports team so every obviously you know, sports team has an esports team. The reason is because they want to engage with a younger audience because they're finding out that you're no longer going to just root for the Cowboys because it was your dad's team, or it's no longer because you live in Dallas. They don't really care anymore. The youth is more about the individual and how cool and how, how much they've affected them. And, and we started doing that. And then it just started doing very, very well. I mean, we have amazing partners. You know, we have, you know, Rick Barry is a partner of ours. You know, uh, Aaron Jones is a partner of ours. Uh, Roanick is a partner of ours. Anthony Alfredo is a partner of ours. Phase Clips or Retflow, these guys are all partners of ours. Brian Erlacher, that one. Erlacher. I mean, and they care because they care about you know the community and the youth. And so what we do is we ask for sponsors to sponsor us because we're giving these guys path to pro, but it's just good TV. And at any given chance, you know, you can play against other people. So that's why we started it. And then we started a league in Latin America, which was super amazing. And now we're in 14 countries there. And then we have a, now we have a news channel called NACL News All, which is on Reach TV. Reach TV is in 200 airports in six countries where the CNNs used to be. They no longer exist. Reach TV has taken over. So when you see CNBC, NBC, Bloomberg, the NFL, the seventh channel is NACL News All, which is sports center style esports news so now when we have sponsors and we're talking about cool things that are happening like arkansas state next year they're going to offer scholarships and esports we talk about that to 40 million nielsen viewers a month on that network and then we have a second network that is in mainland china which is on isun tv and in 29 other countries where we host another show and we talk about esports in the americas and the u.s so not only so now not only do we have a league, not only do I have a part of a team, not only do I teach like at SMU, not only have I done a Super Bowl commercial, invested and put deals together, run tournaments. Now we have the sports center of the world to do that. And I don't think people realize that's just started from good intentions. To, we've done this all in two and a half years, and it really put some people on the map. 
Well, that's amazing. I wasn't that familiar with the TV angle, and I think that, you know, it is really important because while, you know, eSports, G4, you know, we know Venn and a bunch of these other entertainment products have been trying to do it, and no one has really hit it off. So, you know, the fact that you're able to create this, and I don't know, is it just professionals or the collegiate? What does it kind of feature? So it, 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 it does two things. It has college players that play with each other, and win, you know, scholarships and prizes or a chance to go pro. And the second thing is we have an open league where celebrities play. Now, this is dope. I and mean, we just had, we just, we, and we do, we do a lot of white labels. So our last white label we did was a company called Noble GG that I'm also part of and the Billy Token guys. And they had T-Paint in the tournament. Freaking T-Paint. I wish I could do it the right way. Um, um, and then, you know, we do openly, so we have awesome guys, a lot of guys that you represent, great human beings because, you know, they love you and, and therefore I know they're great human beings that play in our tournaments and we host them and we allow basically, you know, we don't pay any celebrities to pay, it's the love for their game. They're playing against, you know, the best of the best in the world, you know, where we have guys from all around the world playing Fortnite against each other, best in high school, the best in college, the best in junior high, the best pro players. And it's for fun and it really brings your skill level up. That's the things that we do that I find that real interesting. That's probably different from all the other leagues because that is to me what esports is. It's a combination of everybody and everyone should be included, not just the best gamers, but sometimes the best content creators uh, as well. And I think that's where the value comes in. I mean, I absolutely agree on that. And I think it is unique because, you know, as you mentioned, some of the other collegiate um, organizers, it's really about kind of beefing up the prize pool and getting more involvement. Whereas you kind of took a different angle where it's like, we're going to try to build up these ladders and you have this body of work against other top players. And maybe you can have this opportunity to go pro. And if you do the right things, maybe you're not going to win the opportunity, but you might turn some heads and some other teams, whether it's noble or anyone else who's involved in the space through your other affiliations might have that opportunity. And it just kind of creates that pipeline that we all know really doesn't exist. And every other traditional sport has it. And, you know, almost every career has a pretty established, pipeline from you know birth to job acceptance right a absolutely man and and what i've never realized is there's a lot of things that are coming out like you're an attorney and you're an attorney that specializes in, in esports right there's a you know we're doing marketing for esports right we're doing consulting there's so many with every industry when i talk about numbers every industry has the same things that you need, right? They're specialists, but there's people, you're still gonna need an accountant, you're still gonna need an HR person, you're still gonna need strategies and operations, business development, you're still gonna need a CFO. With every new industry is there's a billion other, you know, opportunities that come in, you know? If there were only, hypothetically speaking, a thousand CFO positions in the current industries that we have, just hypothetically speaking, and esports came in and they gave a thousand more, that means there's a thousand more opportunities for you to be the CEO of the company. Right, or a thousand more, you know, attorneys that can find new clients. Like that's where I see this real value coming in. Every time the new industry pumps up, you have to be. The, if you care about it, you're the expert in that field, it puts you way way ahead. And that's what we were able to to do in a very fortunate short amount of time. Plus, give out almost a quarter million dollars of scholarships. That's not a bad day at work. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. And you know, I think you kind of you know keyed on, and it leads kind of the next point of you know you mentioned you teaching some college courses at SMU and their business management progress. So tell us a little about the courses you're teaching, and how'd you kind of get involved in the program? You know, you talk about good intentions, long term, and this is the exact same story as, as I got in the phase. 
three years, four years ago, I was, I was pretty heavy into crypto working for the company and I was racing cars on a rally. And this guy happened to talk to me. We started hanging out. His name is Andrew. And what Andrew did was he turned around and he ended up um, going into adding me on the SMU blockchain uh, uh, community. And the guy who's running it is an awesome friend of mine, Professor Mack. Um, but here's the interesting part. For two years, there's no interaction with me, Professor Mack. Actually, nothing was ever asked of me about crypto and blockchain. I just kind of stuck in the groove and just kind of watched. Well, me and Max started adding each other on, on Facebook, became friends. And then when I got to Dallas one day, I just invited him to lunch just to kind of see what he was doing, talk a little bit. Ironically, he's the head of the entrepreneurial program for Cox at SMU, which is a top three uh, program. And, and, and he's also in, in the sports program side of it. They have the APSM, which is Applied Sports Management. Uh, and they're number three in the world, from my understanding. And we just started talking and he's like, and then he found out what I was doing in esports and I just started speaking and I would speak for free or they would pay me and I would just kind of talk and dish knowledge. And, but through that two years of friendship and talking with no intentions, then he just offered me a chance one day to, you know, ask if I was interested in teaching esports. And I said, hell yeah, you know, if I can do that, that'd be great. And that's how I became part of the SMU community and went from there. It was just like, just like the previous story, it really was just good intentions with no expectations. Right. Isn't it all kind of about who, you know, and kind of the relationship you have with them. I think that's like the biggest thing that, you know, everyone who works in these high, you know, desired industries says is that it's about who, you know, and your relationships with them and developing these things, not in a, Hey, I need something from you, but it's like, Hey, you're doing good things. I'm doing good things. Let's keep in touch. And who knows where the road leads. Yeah. And this is where like a lot of, I think the young guys really screw this part up. Right. Like, like, you know, look, We've all had to go through our, our man moment to be like the tough guy or, you know, we're pissed because he's a pick on us and now we're doing this and that. Dude, that's not like to me. Then you look at all these these guys out there on social media who can talk a good game and make you buy into their company or follow their program or whatever the heck they're trying to sell you. And then, but the question is, well, what did they do before they took your money? Like, like, you know what I mean? Like. Any person, like I'm a great speaker, you're a great speaker, we could easily do it and go from there. And we have enough like smoke and mirrors. We have enough real things, much as these guys have smoke and mirrors to do things. And what ends up happening is I see the youth getting influenced it by that so much. And then there's that toxicity and that masculinity that I think is being so, so questioned from some people. And we all realize that wasn't the purpose. It's competitiveness. It's feeling people included. It's, it's working with people and accepting them for who they are. And that's where I see the current, you know, state of esports, and that's going to be a pretty big battle. But I also believe for people like you and Clips and Overflow and and even myself that that we can shift the industry the proper way. And through that, you develop real love from a community that knows you're genuine because you and I both know you do something wrong in this community, you're done. And even if you don't mean to, you know, sometimes you just get in a situation that might be out of your control. And as long as you have the good intentions and try to do everything you can to, you know, steer the ship right, like what else can you do? You know, there are just some people that just don't want to do the right thing, whether it's who they are or they just think they can pull a fast one. And, you know, it taints it for other people that are just trying to do the right thing by people. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, so, you know, what I thought was really unique about SMU was that it's, you know, an esports business management program. Do you see this mm -hmm. as a trend with, you know, more colleges creating business-focused courses and programs? 
Sure. I mean, if, if they want to be in the loop, I mean, what's interesting about this is like the entrepreneur programs back in the nineties, right? No one knew an entrepreneur was, it started becoming cool and we started ranking themselves, started doing entrepreneur, or now it's digital social media marketing. Every university that I've spoken with, you know, talking to behind the scenes, working on, this is much needed. And I'll tell you why, because if you're not doing it, you're out of the loop. You said the same thing about entrepreneurship, the same thing about internet, and it became a big issue that was behind. You know, what's funny about what you just said is, is you know, I, I once had a meeting at Deloitte in Taiwan, and I asked them why we're fourth in that country. And they said, in 1990, when the computers in the 80s, when computers are coming out, we didn't think computers would be the real thing. So we never went after those computer companies. Taiwan is also for 75% of the computers worldwide. And Deloitte and Taiwan never was able to cover from that. Because you don't see the forecasts and trends, like Blockbuster didn't see Netflix, that was what that that ends up taking our competition. So you have people like Full Sail University, who's doing a great job and really doing their esports program or UCI, and you got your Harvard and you're still trying to figure it out. There's a shift and, and there's a that revolution. And as crazy as you might I think that is, you're gonna get the best athletes joining universities, just like you have the best athletes joining football you know, universities, because you want the best viewership and people to watch in. And that's where I think the universities have to come and do the education side of it as well. Definitely. I mean, you know, the D1 schools in general are 100% lagging, you know, behind everywhere else. And like you mentioned, schools like Full Sail University and Shenandoah and some of these schools are a bit easier to shift than some of these large institutions that are very established in their ways are able to attract some really quality candidates and will now be on people's list that maybe never heard of them before, you know, school like Maryville, like when I was applying for colleges, I've never heard of it. But, you know, if you're looking at esports at a super high level, like that's a place that you might go where you might be scouted by a top esports team to continue that path to pro or at least be playing in championships and given the opportunities to win really nice prizes and scholarships. Right, 100%. And, and I think that's where the, the interesting part is, right? Because now you're not taking the opportunity than anything else. Absolutely. So in addition, you're on the board of BD Abundance. So tell us a little about that and, you know, what's your role as the head of esports? Um, it's interesting because, you know, I really, I, I really, really, really thought it was interesting that, you know, I met this amazing guy named Mike Mamula. Um, he's out there in New York, as you, you know, Mike. And then, of course, uh, David Moreno, who is a sports agent. And then, you know, my whole life actually is kind of funny because I talk about David Meltzer in the sense when I was about 16, I saw this little movie called Jerry Maguire. And I said to myself, that's what I want to do. Right. Like that's when I knew what I wanted to do. And to find out years later that he had consulted and that was about Lee Steinberg. And it was kind of a story that Meltzer was part of. That was amazing. So we have David Meltzer as well. And, you know, we focus on the athletes. We focus on the people and and and, you know, we try to help them out as, as abundantly as we can different deals, you know, different opportunities that exist and really work together on the business sense of it with some great guys. And that's kind of how I got involved with Media Abundance. And they became partners at NACL as well. All of them are partners there, equity partners. It's been an amazing journey. Well, that's awesome. It definitely shows kind of the shift of, you know, traditional dynamics and kind of, you know, even what I'm doing in my everyday is kind of this intersection of traditional entertainment and sports and the gaming and esports culture and kind of everyone wanting to go from one side to the other. Right, exactly. So, yeah, so what's kind of your advice for anyone trying to work in the esports business and kind of, you know, trying to get in? Be humble. Um, 
you know, the youth that comes in, you know, I know there's an assessment when you get out of college that you think you, you deserve this much and that much, and you do, but there's also guys who have, have the same thing and 10 years of, of life experience. So you have to get yourself in the door and that's the sacrifice, you know, and I, and I understand this because, you know, I, I want to kind of relate this to my story about Deloitte and I became a partner. The reason I became a partner, Justin, is the CEO of Deloitte had changed. I was a director. There was a guy that was there. One day my assistant told me, I was in Mexico City, that our CEO was flying to Ciudad Juarez in Mexico. And I told him, I said, well, when, what time is he flying in? She said, no idea. So I bought every single freaking airplane ticket from four o'clock in the morning till I don't remember what time it was to run into our CEO at the airport to tell him what I did. When I did that and I ran into him and I started talking to him and I did that sacrifice and that investment, I was a partner three months later. You have to sacrifice and intern and learn and show your character to get paid good money. Not your talent, your character. Your talent will come, I think, shortly after. And you have to be part of it because nobody wants to invest in something and someone that six months later is going to be your competitor or a year later you're stealing ideas. That's why the character is so important. And your talent can be everything, but if you don't work and you're lazy and you don't have consistency, it's still not going to work out. And, and, and ingenuity. If you're a little bit older and you want to jump in, you have to really understand the culture. Remember, I'm 41. I understood it. I think I understand it pretty damn well. You know, you have to really assess. But both things require the most important thing, which is humility and checking your ego. And I think a lot of people when they do new industries, because I'm an expansion part of Deloitte, that doesn't mean anything in the esports world. It does when I talk to corporate people and, and the big corporate execs and C-level execs. But when it talks to the gamers, they don't know what the hell that is. They want to know that I can game and they want to know what my kill to death ratio is and how I can do it. You have to assess and be part of it. EQ is so important in any industry, especially in esports. And the most important thing is, like you said, giving a damn about people. I mean, they can sniff out bad guys all the time. Don't don't look at them as lesser than, you know, look at them as equal. And for the, the youth, it's the same thing too. Just because they're older, yeah, they don't understand your current industry, but guess what? If they were if they were born the same time you were, they would probably blow you out of the water because of the CEOs of industries themselves. So it has to be a humility thing and, and, and a commitment to yourself. How bad do you want it? Would you have bought every single ticket when you were already a director at Deloitte, when you should have been a partner two years before to try to meet the CEO for 15 minutes? I did. That's why I did it. That's why I made it. So I'll always make it because I will just simply do more sacrifices and put my ego aside than most people. I mean, I think that's, you know, pretty spot on advice. I don't think you could really get any bigger than that. And especially like you said, in these areas where you're working with people who have been doing this for decades or longer, it's like, there's a reason why there's these powerful people that are doing stuff at the super high level for decades or longer because they know what they're doing. They have the connections on a really high level and they understood what it took to get there and they still want to stay there and they know what it takes to stay there. Exactly. And, and I think that's where it's really interesting, right? And you want to, like there are 30 year old CEOs and 25 year old CEOs and that's amazing. But the only difference between me and my twenties and my thirties and my forties is I just am very aware that I can't, when I was in my 20s, if I had 10 things to do, I would do 14 things. 
When I was in my 30s, if I had 10 things to do, I would do 10. And now in my 40s, if I had 10 things to do, I only commit to five and get five done. I'm just aware of the things that I can and can't do. But that's where you need people like that to partner with you if you're a youth because they give you a reality check because they've already gone through it in life. You know, it's like your parents telling you not to put the fork in the electric socket and you're like, you do it anyways. That's not the way of learning. That's the way of being an idiot. If you want to learn, you listen and, 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 and educate yourself and ask yourself why they did that and why they're thinking about that. That is going to shape your mind because when you start critically thinking like that, then you start developing a brain power that allows you to outthink people from a very macro level. And I think that's something that a lot of the leaders will tell you really matters in addition to good relationships and humility. Well, you know, I think everyone out there, all my listeners are going to definitely have to play this on rewind to kind of get the the knowledge that you drop. So it's definitely kind of bring this towards a conclusion. So what's the future for the NACL? What, you know, the short term and the long term? Well, the future, you know, for us is to continue to provide quality scholarships and path to pro. I mean, I'm really excited for this upcoming semester. You know, uh, Lord willing, the things that we're locking in, you know, will transpire. And there's a path to pro, not just playing, but in development, tier three, tier two, tier one orgs, orgs in different countries that matters, working with certain universities, you know, providing, giving high school kids a chance to try in our combines, to try out for college teams, college teams to try out for our combines, to try out for pro teams. You're going to get the biggest and the best. And we're looking for sponsors, looking for guys who care and, and you know, it's going to help their business. But we're also looking for the right sponsors. And that is what makes us so more different because it has to help in the community and or else we won't do it. Well, I think that sounds amazing. It's definitely sorely needed. The right people kind of building this path from high school to college and to the pros and kind of everything in between. And who knows, maybe there's, you know, some of the brand consulting and strategy being able to actually teach these kids how to engage properly on social media and Twitch and Twitter and to be more valuable to, you know, especially the non-endemic brands that are looking for someone who has some personality, can speak on air and, you know, kind of in my daily business, like that's what I look for. And that's kind of what I always say. It's like, it's good that you're gaming, but what else? What else makes you unique? Your imagery, do you wear a hat? Do you wear cosplay? Like, are you this great MC or are you just really hyper and loud and exciting? Like what makes you you? And understanding how to develop that and that that's what gives you longevity. You know, you look at these Forbes list of who's making the most money. It's these content creators, these streamers, these people that are literally just going on stream. I, I always use this as an example of, you know, Nick Merckx had 60,000 people watching him lift weights in his first workout stream. Like, I can't fathom that as someone who's done, you know, big events and stuff, 60,000 people watching a dude in a hoodie, not even in a wife beater, not even shirtless, you know, anything else, not even with a celebrity trainer, just a dude shrugging dumbbells in his basement had 60,000 people watching. That is just mind boggling, but it's the personality, it's the swagger, it's the flair, it's everything that's beyond the gaming prowess. And being able to kind of teach them that at, you know, any talent at an early age and kind of instill that early on, you know, I think is a benefit. Yeah, 100%. Like, it has to be the coolness and the reality and the real factor. And that's what people all seem to understand. Like, and, and you're 100%. What is your brand? And what is your image? And, you know, when I tell people this is this is the most for, for the traditional gamers. I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow everyone's mind. I say, who's your favorite player in phase? And they start writing off a list. And 90% of the time, it's the content creators. 
it's not the top guys who are playing, it's the content creators. Now, that doesn't mean the top guys who are who are content creators can't play. It means that's the umph for the factor. And that's the difference. 100%. So, you know, what's kind of the future for Media Abundance, some of the stuff you're trying to do there? You know, I, I think we're going to continue to look into integration and esports and metaverse and, 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 and crypto and NFTs and continue to explore and, and, and develop relationships and continue to develop the industry with, with an abundant way that can help people and, and make money as well. Amazing. So, you know, thank you so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. So tell everybody where they can connect with you. Yeah, you know, you can follow me, uh, Twitter, Instagram, David Chen Panda. Um, Twitch is David Chen Panda. Um, that's pretty much it. That's the brand. So hopefully, especially you, Justin, this time, you start seeing a panda, you got a Panda Express. Now that I've told you this, you're like, you always think about me. It's a branding thing. Uh, it worked, It works out, and that's where you can find me. Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely love me some Panda Express. So, you know, had more of that in law school as it was one of the only things there. But, you know, anyway, thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J-E-S-Q, and check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes.